We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It's an undeniably talented team. You just can't get away from the conclusion that the manager got the tactics wrong on the day, failed to deliver, failed to produce with the team the way he needed to be producing. And it leaves us with the only question, which is, will Antonio Conte stay at Chelsea next season? But enough about those cunts. Let's talk about Arsenal. Let's talk about the all-time FA Cup winningest team in history. Let's talk about the manager who has more FA Cups than any manager in history. This is the Arsenal Vision post-cup final podcast. And you are listening to Elliot Smith. You can block me on Yankee Gunner at Twitter. No, don't do that. Block me at Yankee Gunner on Twitter. I'm fired up. We should all be so fired up. Clive's got a huge glass of wine. He's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Oh, come on, man. I can't wait. Come can't on. wait. Come on. Get stuck in. Let's do it. And... Paul is on Twitter at Posnin in my pants. Hello, Pos. Woohoo! Tim is in Colombia. I can only assume he was driven to want some of the white stuff to celebrate. So, you know, it is what it is. I'm kidding. Gosh, that's a terrible, terrible way to start the podcast. But, Tim, we love you and, and your in-laws and your family, and we hope you're having a wonderful trip, and we miss you. Um, so, look, it was... A brilliant, brilliant day. And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to talk the future of the club. We're not going to talk the future of the manager. We're not going to talk player contracts. We're going to save that for another pod. That's right. You're going to have to endure another pod. We'll get Tim in. We'll go over all the summer stuff. We're just going to talk FA Cup today. And we're going to start by going 1 through 11, all the performances. But actually, I want to throw a little bit of a 
a wrench in those plans because I want to go one through 12. The first person's performance we have to talk about is a manager himself. All right, Paul, it's all teed up for you. What do you rate Arsene Wenger on the day? Uh, well, uh, maximum points. I mean, it was just... We're doing ratings, so it's out of 10. You get to get out of 10, he gets a 10. I mean, just okay. outstanding. Uh, he put a marker down with that BBC interview before the game. He called out the board. He called out those fans who had gone against him during games. Uh, it was ballsy because um, if he'd lost, he would have looked stupid. Um, but I think he set the tone for that game. What you saw in that interview is what you saw from those players from second one, from minute one. Uh, they went at it. The, the, the uh, mission was clear. I mean, they tore into that game. He tore into that interview. He was angry. They were angry. Yeah, and I, I think you saw the response. Uh, but, but, Clive, I mean, in terms of having to get it right, can you get it much more right than he got it? Yep, and he got it so right. But i got to say, i got to hold my hands up and say the whole Czechoslovakia thing. I thought, what are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, it's time to just do the right thing. And I was I was, I was, was just brimming with a little bit more confidence. But when I saw that, I just thought, why do that? Why? And that just shows the bravery of the man. The man is incredibly honourable. Um, Man's got balls. He, he does not care what the world thinks about him. He cares about what his people around him think about him. He'd obviously made a decision early in the season that so he would play if he was fit and available, that Spina would play in, in a cup final. I did not agree with it. But you cannot dispute the quality of the man. You, you just can't. You can dispute and you can disagree with some of the things that he does. But as an individual, his individual qualities are incredible and to have the bravery to do that when the world was watching if a spina throws money in which he, which he did um, and we lose <laughs> and we lose the, then what do, what does that mean and he, and he just doesn't care and um i give him i give him so much praise for having the bravery to do that yeah i, I give him a 10 and i give him a 10 purely on this basis like there's a chance this could have been Arsene Wenger's last match at Arsenal. Maybe it won't be, maybe it will be, but certainly if it had gone wrong, I think that would have made it even harder for him to stay. And the only thing I've asked from Arsene Wenger this whole season when things were turning sour is, you're an attack-minded manager. Put out a team that won't go down meekly, that isn't set up conservatively, that isn't set up to survive and hopefully scrap something or scrape something. And he could have put Coughlin in midfield, and he could have put Giroud up front, and he could have gone back to a back four so he could use Nacho at left back because he didn't have the center back options. And he didn't do that. He went with Welbeck. He went with Ramsey and, and Shaka. He went with uh, Oxlade Chamberlain at left wing back for the first time ever all season and stuck Bellerin in at right wing back where he's been exceptional. He made the decision to go out with a lineup that wasn't going to lose 1-0. Maybe 4-3, maybe 5-4, maybe 6-5, but not 1-0. He decided, I'm going to go out swinging toe-to-toe with the best team in England. And the attacking talent on, on our side of the ball was every bit the match for Chelsea and then some. And we dominated them in the attacking half. And it could have been three, four, five, or six goals. And that's down to the manager's courage. I don't know that I agree with the Ospina decision I certainly didn't ahead of time. I don't even know if I do in retrospect, but the one thing I can say for sure is the players certainly seem to want that decision to be made. Um, when he made a couple of key saves, he was getting slaps on the back like he had just saved a penalty. At full-time, Check raced onto the pitch and embraced him, sort of 
giving lie to the idea that he was injured potentially. But, you know, I mean, I even wonder if <laughs> he Gibbs, didn't run on that fast. Well, you know, he scampered out there um, for check moving beyond snail's pace is running. Um, you know, Gibbs, maybe Gibbs wasn't injured at all. Maybe it was just, hey, we'll say you're injured to spare you the ignominy of not making the match day squad because your Arsenal career is potentially over and you're not going to be in the squad for the cup final because that's not what's best for the team. He went away from the safe options. He went with the aggressive option and he got the reward it deserves. And, you know, I mean, ultimately I can bitch and moan that I didn't think Giroud was the right substitute at the time. I never do. Obviously, I thought pace, pace, pace. We're killing him with pace. There's space. But Giroud comes on and makes the difference. So, Everything he touched turned to gold on the day. I couldn't be happier for him, and it's a 10 out of 10. So that's the manager. Let's get to the players one by one, and let's start with the captain. I mean, Paul, just the fact that the captain of Arsenal started oh, man. <laughs> a game. Oh, man. Uh, how, do, how do you rate Per Mertesacker? Is there a number high enough? There isn't. And, you know, one of the things we, we've worried about is leadership and a leader and a captain. And you saw it all over that pitch, and it's hard not to think it emanates from that guy. He was going around, uh, you know, fist bumping, slapping. There's a moment on like about 67, 68 minutes where he clears a header from a hazard cross uh, from a free kick into the box. And he looks like he's got the fucking, he's the bird that got, that's, or sorry, the cat that's got the bird between, between his teeth. I mean, he's just... He's so on for this, and I think it's infectious. And, and you know, we'll maybe talk more s- tactics a little bit, yes. late, a bit later on. But the three-four-three brings that man back to life. Suddenly, all of his weaknesses are his strengths, and the two centre backs fill in what he misses. And uh, he was absolutely outstanding. The covering tackles that he made, and they as a threesome made. The do-or-die stuff at key moments, I mean, it was just phenomenal. They all knew their distances, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about Rob Holding because that's a beautiful pairing, we'll too. There. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think with Mertesacker, as long as he doesn't have to turn and run back towards his goal, as long as he doesn't have to worry there's 30 yards of green grass behind him that he yeah. has to be accountable for, I don't see why he can't play the position for another several seasons because his instinct, his organization, his aerial ability, and, and his safe tackling in pressure situations is a joy to watch. Um, and, if, and I really think you can see his presence in the dressing room out on that pitch that you know, day. If you haven't seen it yet, there is um, tunnel cam, extended tunnel cam footage from before the game that is just ah. sensational to watch. Um, there's also the aft, aftermatch reaction stuff, which is a lot of fun, but go to the FA website and find the footage of the tunnel camp. It's like nine minutes. First of all, Thomas Rosicki makes an appearance there and he gets quite the reception. But um, it just shows you a little window into what the build-up to these games is like, what these players, the pressure they're under. I mean, I got butterflies watching it after the game knowing we had won. Um, and and I think it gives you a little window into Murtisacker as well. So, Clive, what about you? I mean, if, the rating for him and how that differed from what maybe you were expecting before kickoff. Well, I, I wasn't worried about him playing, that's for sure. And I wasn't worried about him playing in the back three. But for me, he was. For me, the final should be his final. I thought he was playing the match. I thought he was the story. Um, and what he does very, very well, and he's always done it when he plays in the two. And there's a there's a, a scouting measure when you scout a player. You you scout them what they call regain retain. So when a defender regains the ball, regain. what you're looking for. Retain. Regain, okay. retain, right? It's a great skill. And all our back three had it. And that was a trick on the day, without a doubt. When they won the ball, 
they regained it. They didn't give it away. And a big thing, as you say, is first two, first two passes. So once you win it, the first two. And the ability for the first two pass was was a key on the day. Mertesacker, he doesn't just win the ball. He strokes the ball out to another player. And then we go ping, ping, and we're off and we're moving. And it that was key constant, on the day, wasn't it? Absolutely it was key, key to us massive, maintaining the massive. upper hand. And I, you can you can duplicate this for holding and Monreal as well. Every yep. time they won it, the next thing they did was pass it to a red shirt. And you, and you may, you may think, well, that's obvious. Well, it's actually very hard to do. You've won it. Can you keep it? So not just winning it and having a touch and knocking it, but headers. Can you head it down to one of our players? Can you tackle on the slide tackle, but then slide tackle it to like a pass like Cochrane does when he goes to ground? He passes it in the tackle. That regain retain so suits our transitional players in midfield, which I'm sure we'll get to in Azor, Alexis and, and Ramsey, who travel. And so to and they were they all the three of them are super available. So Murtasaka was not only was he making the tackles, which is like the the end product for a defender, whereas the end product for a striker is a goal. The end product is an is a in-the-box tackle. But for me, it was just calm stepping in, when to step up, and then regaining possession, which didn't allow Chelsea to have second efforts and to build pressure on us. And because every time they made a mistake, we put pressure on them. And that sort of gives you a feeling of why the game was a bit basketball-like. They had an attack... But then we had an attack. And the more attacks we had, the more we affected their mentality. And they looked as mentally fragile as we've looked in the past. Yep. So I think Mertesacker was a big part of that. I agree. And, I mean, you forget, but when it was Mertesacker and Koscielny paired at center backs in a back four, when Koscielny had the ball, he gave it to Mertesacker. Mertesacker started the buildup. He was the passer. Um, and you, you saw the benefit of having that back in the side against yeah. Chelsea. Um, we'll, we'll quickly move, move through and, and spend a little more time on the really key contributors, although everyone was sort of a key contributor on the day. By the way, I will say having Mertesacker be so dominant aerially during the game, in a game where you have a keeper who's not going to really command his area quite as well, I mean, I thought Ospina yeah. did fairly well collecting, but like, it's got to be a relief for Ospina to not have to come for everything because Pera was there cleaning up all the balls yeah. into the box. Um, all right, so let's get to Nacho Monreal. Uh, Paul, this is a guy who has played the left side of a back three. He's played center back and a back four. He's played left fullback, and he's played left wing back. And he's done a magnificent job at all of them, an undervalued member of the squad, in my opinion. What do you think of him on the day? I thought he was, again, exceptional. Some of his covering tackles, the intelligence of his positioning, um, even, uh, you know, I've criticized him a little bit on pace, but there's a, a period when he covers right back with Hazard. I mean, we did so well smothering Hazard down that side and anywhere else he popped up. We'd, Ox did a great job on him two or three times where, you know, we've well, we'll get to Ox in a second, but uh, Monreal and Ox, I think, did superb intelligently positioning and neutralizing, not always with the saving actual tackle. Just been really good. at. at there's a reason we didn't see much of Hazard. I thought Monreal was, you know, I wanted him played as left wing back in the, where Ox eventually played because I didn't think we had a really good option there. But I'm so glad we went with this. You know, that's why the boss gets paid the big bucks, that and other reasons, to make those goals. You know, playing Mertesacker for 90 minutes, I didn't think that was possible. Um, but he got that right. 
And so, you know, I think the Nacho call at that position was essential for this game. And those three players distributing from the back and moving it uh, from side to side in the game, along with Chaka, was instrumental in how we moved Chelsea around and created all those gaps. So I, I think Nacho, the back three in general, but some of Nacho's positional tack- sliding tackles, interceptions, absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been a revelation for us since we switched to the back three in whichever position you've we, yeah. we've seen him deployed. Um, I just don't understand why some people don't adore this player. He also seems to really care. It seems to mean a lot to him. Clive, I mean, yeah. he's the consummate professional. What do you rate him for the day? Oh, uh, I'm a he's a he's a nine for me. He, he's right there. I mean, if Murasaka, he's an eleven. And I just thought the two of them showed some real seniority and some leadership. Um, I think you mentioned about Murasaka. The size of him, the big body of him, when you look at him, you think, okay, I know what he's going to give me, so I know what my role is around him. When he presses, I must cover around. When he drops off, I must go and be aggressive. And sometimes when you look at a player, what they can do is really, really obvious, and what they can't do almost defines your game. You know, and I thought Monreal recognised he pressed really high. There was a break late that Chelsea had in the game. Monreal left his station, came inside and stopped the through ball. And he did that from centre midfield because he recognised he was the one that had to go. He was the agile one. He was the quick one. If I go now, I can stop this at source. If I don't, we're going to get to our area. We're going to be in trouble. We could be overrun. And um, I just think his um, experience now is showing up. But again, it's his use of the ball. You know, I can't stress upon this. And Paul, you great point. The movement... Those three players, I mean, I, I have a theory, right? The our back three. <laughs> just, just the one? <laughs> just for a change. Right? Our back, the way we play this, is, it's becoming really advanced. You know, I'll go into a bit more later, but if you look at all the other teams that are doing this, they don't have ball players like we do. And that changes things. You know, Chelsea have one ball player, really, in Aspilicueta, uh, sorry, in, uh, in Louise, Aspilicueta at times, but he's not great on the ball. We have multiple ball players, multiple defenders that are comfortable on the ball. They've now got the security of small spaces so they look better defensively. But when we have the ball, they turn into midfielders. Right? They turn into midfielders and you know that, that's changed things. It's, it's made us really advanced. It's made us really hard to press. And, and Monreal is part of that. And um, yeah, it, 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 is, it is wonderful to watch a tactical performance like that. But players getting the maximum out of themselves, which we haven't said for most of the year. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, y- you can't put everything just down to a change of formation. I mean, formations are important, but they're not everything. But certainly putting players in positions where they are not uh, crisis management experts at every turn, where they're not constantly managing defensive crises and you know defending two-on-ones and 30 yards of green grass, I think gives them the confidence to then play their game a little more and take a breath and and feel good about the decisions they're making. Um, and, and you certainly see it with Nacho. I, I think, obviously, you saw it with Pear, the performance he put in. But let's talk Rob Holding for a second. Uh, Clive, I'll stay with you just so you can get the, the first words in uh, for a change. Um, <laughs> the... The thing with Rob Holding here, right, I mean, I want you to give me your assessment of his performance without kind of falling into the warm, euphoric glow of the cup final. There are still some rough edges there. There are still some bumps and some mistakes. So realistically, what rating do you give him and what do you make of the performance? 
I give him realistically, I give him a, a seven or an eight. It's not because I want to pick him apart, but you've got to be. He's again regain retain, perfect. His passing range is outstanding. Pace of pass, he can go. For, you know, for, he can play short. He can go a little bit further up to the to the centre forward, but he buzzes it into their feet, and he's very calm. He doesn't. He strides with the ball, but what he does is he just looks after the balls. So when the ball arrives at his feet. He he's, his touch is good, but his his head is up. He's very straight backed. So when you're a player, and you go to press a player. What you try to do is get their head down. You can't get his head down. He's comfortable. My head's up. So yeah, you're coming at me. I know where the ball is. It's at my feet. So if you come at me, I'm going to move it. And so what players are doing? They're giving him time. You only go and press players when you think they're weak. If you think they get their heads down. So when he's on the ball, he's fine. He let Costa get around him. I thought Costa. He went down that channel, which was the only thing to do. You not go down Monreal's channel. You go down his channel. Costa goes, he goes from our right to our left side, and he tub- he doubles up with Hazard. So that was going to go on to Monreal. But Costa actually spent some time with Mertesacker, and Mertesacker's really cute. What he did was he rested next to Costa. He said, okay, you stand with me. I will rest next to you. I will stand here and breathe, and my two ball-playing centre-back partners will just keep playing football. You want to stand with me? That's absolutely fine. And he was really cute. So Mertesacker went and engaged him and let Rob Holding play. And then when Rob Holding got pressed, Mertesacker separates, he drops off, creates a passing angle for Holding. Holding looks good. He was communicating to all the time. So, yeah, what Holding's got to do, and all he's got to do is just get a bit older. All he lacks is the the weight of a man, the muscles that he needs to get to be a little bit more dominant in the duels. But that's coming. He's only, what, 20, 20, 20 years of age? Yeah. That's only going to come in time. And uh, when that comes, when people take him into the box, like Costa did, he'll be able to hold them off a lot better and then um, be a little bit more dominant in the duels. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no shame in occasionally getting outfoxed in the box in terms of strength and guile and positioning by someone with the experience and the quality of Diego Costa when you're 20 years old and you're playing in a cup final. I mean, I I think the thing with holding is, on the one hand, he really got beat by Costa twice. Once where Ospina came out and and made a good save with his face, and then once where Ospina kind of let him down when, when Costa scored. But on the other hand, he did get into a, a bit of a uh, scuffle with Costa and got in his head and gave that him the was eyes great, and wasn't stood it? up to him. And I, you know, I mean, it, it's impossible not to love his confidence and his swagger and his willingness to carry the ball forward and, and play it out calmly. I mean, the reason Stones cost $55 million, 55 million pounds, um, I bet City wishes he was $55 million at this point. Um, the reason he costs so much is not because of his defensive positioning or awareness, but because of what he does with the ball at his feet, supposedly. I think holding is every bit that player with the ball at his feet, and and that's pretty exciting because, you know, ultimately, especially against the lesser sides, that you saw it on the day. You need that build up from the back to be effective. Yep. Um, all right, Paul. Unless you have anything else on holding, uh, we'll move no, on. No, you next covered step. it. Okay, cool. Yep. So so let's keep going. Um, I think, you know, it, it's it's been brilliant to watch Bellerin come back to his absolute best. He almost had the move of the season, uh, but fired just wide after roasting David Luiz. Uh, what do you make of our brilliant, pacey, Spanish right wing back? Payala. Um, 
Yeah, he was superb. I mean, uh, as you know, I was pretty keen on keeping Ox in that position just because he'd been so good. Maybe that bit of competition there has really fired him up another Hector back another level to reaching his his uh, his peak form. But yeah, he was superb on the day. Um, he tore up and down that side. Um, he had the place shot had, that that was well saved. Yeah. He had the the blast that went just wide uh, after he skipped through. He, I mean, his only blemish would be the the three on one counter where he, his cross finds the defender. Right? I mean, that's yeah. really his only blemish on the day. Yeah, no, just superb. Um, I mean, such an interesting balance between him him and Ox on the other side. Yeah, um, is that the is that the future? I don't know, but I'll tell you. Well, probably not because we bought that Kalasnich or whatever his name is. Yeah, you, you got to think we will be expected to pick up the left left wing back role if we stand back three. But you know, again, yeah. credit to the manager because Ox was getting a lot of praise for the way he played right wing back before he got injured, and Bellerin had been in rough form before that. But his last few games, he had been imperious and. It would have been easy for the manager to just go back to Ox saying, you know, you don't lose your role by getting injured, but he didn't. He stuck with Bellerin. It proved the right uh, the right decision. Anything to add on Bellerin, uh, Clive, or should we keep going? Yeah, keep going. Just one little thing. Yeah. He, he should, what a great athlete he is. I mean, the mm-hmm. amount of breakaways where he's gone from the back to the front, he's run past all our midfielders to get there, and he's almost like a centre forward. I mean, his athletic potential is massive, right? So for me, that position was always his always his and i can tell you now we're starting to see his potential he's got a lot more to give he's only 21 he's got a lot more to give yeah he's gonna be the best right back right wing back and in maybe the world a little bit of a lesson to the people who are so uh short-termist in their thinking and i, I can be guilty of this as anyone but like there was a lot of calls for bellerin to be dropped for ox and you know well bellerin's terrible he's out of form you know the guy's hair is ruining his career and all this stupid shit and it's, it's clear he's he's absolute class so let's go to the other side and clive look i mean he's not my favorite player so i'll be accused of agenda but i think if there's a guy you were gonna gonna give a less than seven or eight rating to in this cup final it would be oxalade chamberlain no you could say oh well he hasn't played left wing back before but he's played left he played the left winger in a 4-3-3 plenty of times. In fact, that's probably the position he's most had in his time at Arsenal. I thought this was a pretty uneven performance from him. What did you see? I saw a player playing that position. I saw a player straight by not being able to drive so easily off his left foot and drive down the side. If he was on his right foot, he would have, he would have killed him. But what I saw was a player that said, but I'm not going to let everybody down. And what he did was he physically discouraged Moses. Yeah, I and can see that. It's most opponents. He, when he plays against most opponents, he's quicker, he's stronger. Moses is a strong athlete. Ox is not quicker, and he's, and he's as strong, if not stronger. And I thought, what is killed? Is it him? It took him out. Moses is a big part of Chelsea's offensive play, a massive part. And so sometimes when you're playing, you may not have a spectacular game, but for the tactical side, he's he's nullified their link to Hazard and Pedro. So actually, from the side, he had a great game for the team, but he sacrificed the crossing, running, dribbling game that we saw against City. But if you're thinking about this now in hindsight, the only other player we could have... Moses, and I'm not sure we would have done, 
is Monreal, and we didn't have him on the day. So I thought the Ox was brilliant for the team, but his performance, his output was average. But sometimes you kind of sacrifice your game for the wider, for the wider good, right? And I thought he did that really, really well. And in the end, he's he's um, done his man psychologically, done his man, and his man died and got himself sent off. Yeah, I mean, you can't complain with the outcome, and and I, I your point is well taken that with someone who is so such a threat offensively, um, and in the attacking half, it definitely gives the opposing right wing back a lot to think about. Moses had a terrible game, and you can't point to Moses's terrible game without saying credit belongs with Ox. Um, I will say that sadly we missed a chunk of your expert analysis there, only because your internet decided that. Uh, there will oh, again. No, I know there will be no praising of Ox on this podcast. Apparently, so the internet. I, I think I heard Clive saying the end of the word hierarchy from the last pod. Yeah, that just came through. <laughs> that just came through. So, Clive, if if you've got any uh, magic wand to wave over that old uh, router, I'll do, do, do it now. I'll do it now. So, well, and and here's the thing. So, Paul, I know you're probably going to disagree with me. My my point wasn't that Ox was terrible. It's that I think very very clearly, and we have to at least agree on this. There were a lot of instances, certainly in the first half of the match, where passes were going astray, they were being underhit, or you know he'd try the one-touch pass and it would go to the wrong guy. I mean, he was really, of all of our players, the only one who was a little bit sloppy in possession. He seemed a little nervous to me, understandable, playing in a slightly unfamiliar position, um, just back from injury in a cup final after having missed out before and obviously wanting to make an impression on the day. And I, it's not so much that I thought he, he was killing us or was bad or anything, just he lacked the precision that was so evident throughout the rest of the pitch. Yeah, okay. That's one view. I'm going to go the other way, which was I didn't think it was perfect, but I thought it was great and great for us. That whole dynamic up and down that left side uh, of our pitch between him and Nacho, they'd worked out who was doing what. I think Ox prioritized over his normal game the defensive side. The number of times he smothered uh, Hazard from doing what Hazard normally does of twisting one way or another, opening up a spot in the box so he can get a shot off or a cross in, and uh, and Hazard would recycle it, or between, between him and Nacho they did. Um, I think he killed off Moses. I think his general play on the left, attacking-wise, there were a number of times where he, he kind of burst through or made something happen on that side. I really didn't see much that he did wrong. I saw a whole heck of a lot he did right. But, hey, that's all right. Uh, I think we're all agreeing he was somewhere between pretty good and great. And I, I'm a lot yeah. closer to great. Now, not perfect by any means. but his, his a bit energy like, and athleticism, it, Paul, I, I totally agree with you. I just think yeah. he's a player. And his defensive cover, though. I mean, you would normally criticize him for yeah. that. And apart from the the Moses uh, dive in the box where Moses has actually gotten around him, I think he was pretty close. I mean, for an attacking win back, he's as good as you're going to get, I think, that performance on the day. I think he really took care of business to make sure that – I mean, if you look at who was on his wing, right, it was going to be Moses and Hazard. And they were, there was a reason they were pretty quiet, and he was part of it. Well, you know what's interesting? When Chelsea got in the ascendancy in the second half, right before they went down to 10 men, that was the part where they most seemed to focus attacking down their right, our left side. And maybe they identified that Ox was a, a potential weakness that they weren't exploiting enough because they, they seemed to be making more of an effort to get down that side. Um and they were getting some joy down that side until Moses beats him, ironically, and then gets sent off for the dive. And, you know, I, I think 
the thing with uh, Clive has informed us that he has kicked his kids off their iPads so that his internet will now work. Perfect. Yeah. Tell them to stop streaming whatever the whatever they're on, and hopefully you have all the right the right parental controls on all the iPads. Yeah. Um, I just threatened them. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> That's how you do it. I, look, I mean, I. I I don't want it to sound like I'm killing the kid. I just think if there's one thing he needs to add to his game, it's a little more precision. He's just an imprecise player. He's got so many physical gifts um, to, to use in terms of his energy, his running, his dribbling, his power. He, he's a great shooter of the ball, but like just his passes need to be more precise. His decision-making, I mean, surely you guys will remember there were a couple instances where he picked the ball up on the left wing, dri- dribbled it in, into the left like channel, dribbled it some more, beat a man, cut back inside, dribbled a little more, cut back outside, dribbled a little more, and you were like, I tend to remember those as, as, yeah. (laughs) You know what I I mean? I tend to remember those as ones where he didn't have too many options, to be honest. And and it wasn't brilliant, but... It's all to do body shape, right? So when you receive the ball in your natural position, which is on the right side, you don't think. You don't think about what you're going to do next. I actually thought that Aaron Ramsey helped out the Ox quite a lot. If you notice, it a few passes that got fired to him, and the Ox turned it around the corner, right foot into the middle without even looking. That's classic yeah. pattern play, right? That yep. is pattern play. And Ramsey's gone from behind his man in front, and then he's recycled it from the centre. So I think they knew the Ox was going to be weak in his distribution there because he's on the wrong. He's he's not left footed, right? So he's on the wrong side for him. He's very right sided bias. He drives in and he he drives in. He chops out. And he can't do that on the left-hand side, so he can only drive in. So he took his starting position really wide in the touchline, made himself available, created some separation, and then he fired it on his right foot, then followed his pass. And when he does that, he becomes a midfielder more centrally than he can redistribute. The only times he got caught was when he got trapped on the touchline, head down, on his left foot, and got dispossessed or lost the ball. So um, it's purely because he's out of position. Elliot, your point is valid about his position. It needs to be more precise. He's become more precise. He's shown more end product this season. And he's been one of the players, in my opinion, that's, that's actually made a big step forward. To make the step forward, I think it needs to be even more precise and have a bit more goal-scoring end product. To, and I think that will happen from more of a, a central position when his time comes. Maybe one of those two behind the striker in the in the system we're currently using. Um, okay, moving, moving further up the pitch... Um, and, you know, look, I again, not saying Ox was terrible on the day. I'm saying that in a day where every player on the pitch was a man-of-the-match candidate, he would be the one for me that was more good than great. Um, so speaking of a player who was great, Granite Shaka, and I, I think you just can't have a greater transformation of the narrative surrounding a player over the course of a season than this guy's had since we switched to the to the back three, and he has been a dominant factor against City, against United, against Chelsea. I mean, the thing that surprised me the most in this game was that the Shaka ramsey midfield dominated Matic and Conte. They, they weren't even a factor. They were chasing shadows. And Granite Shaka, a huge part of it. Paul, I mean, he's, he's as close to a 10 out of 10 on the day for me. What do you have him? Well, I tell you, just just to go past the obvious, there's a counterattack around 32, 33 minutes, something like that, where normally, you know, we have concerns over Chaka's mobility. We have concerns over Arsenal's ability to cover a counter. And he's running back, um, basically putting his finger in the dike, no what's it intended, uh, covering 
um, their attacking player, then swinging over to cover cover their left left back. Talking about a one man midfield covering covering their counter, I thought it was superbly intelligent. Uh, I throw that in because we're we're about to talk about all the things we expect him to be great at, but that really caught my eye. Defensively, this was we've seen games where his stats are really high defensively. He's making all the tackles, but he's not that intelligent from a positioning and coverage. Check that out. I think it's like 32 minutes. It's just sensational how how one guy kills off a counter. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. hard to to appreciate the role of whatever you want to call it, a regista or a deep-lying playmaker, a player that sits deeper in the midfield and isn't making the pass that leads to a goal, but he's making the pass that leads to the pass that leads to the goal. And, you know, I know there's this XG chain stat that's come out now that's intended to try to capture that more, and I think he was our XG chain leader on the day. But, you know, Uh, being uh, able to build from the back requires you to have a player that's that's quality. And when we lost... Cazorla and tried to play without Shaka when Shaka was gone for those games with the red card that we bizarrely didn't contest. You could see how badly that was missing and how we were unable to build from the back. I mean, Clive, he's for me, he's one of the stories of the season. I mean, he's transformed our midfield as our back three has transformed our season. What did you think of him in the final? I, I tell you now, I thought he was he was our second closest man in the match. I thought he was Absolutely brilliant. I thought, um, Paul, you made a, you touched on something I wanted to touch on. He was a one-man midfield. And this is what I want to really speak about tonight. I've, he actually has no partner. Right? So the way we line up, we have three behind him. We have one in front of the of back three. Ramsey is 10 yards ahead of Shaka at all times. Right? He'd hardly, he only stood next to him in the last 10 minutes of the game. So what Shaka has got now, his midfield partners are his centre-backs. So when he's under pressure, he turns out, goes backwards, and, and then repositions to get the ball. And what his job is, is to get the ball to our three midfielders. And our three midfielders are Sanchez, Ozil, and Ramsey. And that was the key to the whole game. They completely outnumbered Matic and, and, um, and Kante. And they kept popping up in different areas. So if, if, if Ozil came short, Ramsey went into the space that Ozil left. If Sanchez went short, Ramsey went high to the left-hand side. He never stayed still. He never stayed still. So what Shaka's now got, he has no partner, but he's got five options, seven, eight options to hit. But he's got no one next to him. And that is so tactically brave to have a player that's immobile but actually leave him on his own and say, you control the game from there. We're not going to put somebody next to you to cover your weakness. We're going to trust you to distribute. And when you're under pressure, these are your options. But I want you to get the ball to Ozil, get the ball to Sanchez, get the ball. If you're under pressure, go to the Ox on the left, go to Belly on the other side. And because he's got such a range, all those options are reachable. He can dink it, he can float it, he can fire it to feet. He can do whatever he likes. But this is the genius of this formation. I really believe that the way we're playing it is actually more advanced than what Chelsea are doing. Their back line are not good ball players. So they have to go back to front. They go, they go back to front or back to Moses and they fire it in quickly and then they flood. What Hazard and Pedro have done all year they've rested 
defensively, loitered on the halfway line for counter-attack, and their resting cost Chelsea the game because what they should have done was worked Shaka much harder, cut the lines to Ozil, Ramsey and um, Alexis, but they didn't. They thought, Arsenal will make a mistake soon. We'll just stay here and wait for that mistake. And when they, when it comes, we'll flood. We'll counter-attack and we'll overload. But Shaka to me, was very close to Mertesacker for being man of the match because he held that midfield on his own. And what Ramsey, Ozil and Sancho did really well was their recovery speeds good. Oxlade-Chamberlain and um, Bellerin, their recovery speed is good. Ramsey's recovery speed is not great, but his desire to get back is amazing, right? So, so, but he's not now the only one doing it. So what you do, Oxlade-Chamberlain would, would recover, but he'd recover on the angle next to Shaka. And so would Bellerin. He wouldn't recover back in a straight line. You recover back on the angle. So Shaka's got no partner, but he's always got five or six partners. And I think everyone's focusing on Shaka and Ramsey. But trust me, they're not a partnership. It's a collective. And Shaka's the key point in that. And for me now, the only worry I have is I'm not sure if we've got anybody else who can play the Shaka role in the club. And the system has now become... He's gone from a player we all wondered if he was going to be... Was he a success or not? To actually, if he's not there, what do we do? Well, and it, it no, seems he, so obvious now, doesn't it? Like before, when we had him, when we had him alternating in going forward with his midfield partner, and he'd get caught having to track back or run back towards his goal, and he looked really poor and out of position at times. And you know, there were lots, there was lots of space behind him. But now, when we put this this buffer of these three behind him, so there's a little less space for players to run into, and we've told his partner to be the one to go, and Shaq is going to sit. He's just keeping the game in front of him, and he's making all the right decisions. If you look at the pass map from the game, Matic and Conte are completely horizontal. They are a flat two in front of the back three. If you look at ours, um, there's verticality, and it's it's uh, Shaka with Ramsey directly in front of him, and that verticality helps us progress the ball up the pitch, gives Shaka more options to... to to give it to when he looks up and creates all kinds of matchup problems in the attacking half. It makes us a more attacking side, but that's in our DNA when you look at the people that are on the pitch. So, Paul, last word on on really yeah. the, the maturation uh, of this role and the performance by Shaka. Yeah, I mean, you can't understate the significance of his role. Um, you know, Chelsea started brightly, by which I mean they kicked off. We then get the ball back off them, and 44 passes later, uh, much of that tempo being set by Chaka as we swing it from side to side to side. Um, we get a corner. Off that corner, again, from having moved from side to side, uh, we'll get to the goal. But that goal comes through the middle because we've begun to create those gaps between their players. I mean, Chelsea's whole plan was to stay compact, to sit tight. And within four minutes, we've got a goal through the middle of them. Because Chaka and Co, with his centre backs, as Clive is, is talking about, move them from side to side for 44 passes, and that's Chaka. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the pass map, it is literally like a hub and spoke. It's Chaka with Murtasacker behind him, Rob holding at five o'clock, Nacho Monreal at seven o'clock, Hector at three, Ox at nine, Ramsey at n- midnight, Ozil at one, and Alexis at ten on the wheel. You know, on the on the clock. 
And the only guy he wasn't really connecting with was Welbeck because that's not really his role to get it to Welbeck. Yeah. But I mean, it's a hub and spoke system. It goes into Shaq. It gets distributed out to one of those options. And he's got, he's got basically the entire 10 outfield players, maybe except for the center forward, nine of the outfield players to give it to from that position. Um, and a lot of those passes look like nothing, but that's not the point of them. It's to move the other side around, yeah. like Arteta used to. People used to say, "Oh, he doesn't, yeah. you know, he doesn't do anything exciting. He doesn't. He needs to put killer balls through." Well, actually, Chaka does that. I loved Arteta, but I think Shaka's yeah. a little more progressive in the past. He's more of a line breaker. Yeah, yeah, he, um, he'll go for it. Yeah, but he's younger too. Well, and to be <laughs> so. fair, it was a different type of buildup. I mean, when, when Arteta yeah. was doing it, we had other possession-oriented passers all around him, and, and that was sure. more of our build-up style. Um, so, Paul, stay with you for a second. Aaron Ramsey is sort of playing now like the Aaron Ramsey that we all remember yeah. from his, his purple patch, and I think it's just as simple as being told you've got license to go forward now and get get connected into the attack. Use your engine to get back, obviously, but but your role is in the attacking half. You are not sitting deep and surveying the pitch and and spraying passes, you're making secondary runs. And his goal is a quintessential Aaron Ramsey run goal. It's a quintessential Giroud to Ramsey kind of play, actually, and why they've mm. always really liked playing off of each other to some extent. But is that really just, just the single biggest difference you're seeing in Ramsey and why he was so effective on the day is his running into the box and, and secondary runs from midfield that we weren't seeing earlier in the season? Yeah, I think you've nailed that eloquently. But I'll add one more thing, which we've talked about. The Wenger quote that when Ramsey's 100% fit, like truly, truly peak fitness, you add his engine to his tactical awareness, that's when he becomes a world-class player. Ramsey ran 14.4 kilometers in this game. I mean, 10 or 11's a reasonable, a, a pretty active performance. 12 is getting off the charts. 13's kind of unheard of. 14.4 is a world record for the FA Cup. Um, there's a reason he had what was, in the end, a very simple, well, nothing's very simple. They miss those all the time. But a very simple her header to put away at the end of that game. Well, actually, it was around the 80-minute mark. Um, it's because he was running 14.4 kilometers, running up and down and all over that field. But it's not just the running. It's the running to the right place. That's the tactical piece that Wenger's talking about. There's a reason he was 10 yards forward from Chaka all the time. It's because that's where he needed to be. And he ran up, over, across and back. He was everywhere creating that other that third point in the triangle. The, the intelligence that comes with him when he – and when people say, well, why doesn't he just do that all the time? Because he doesn't yet have – he's not the fastest player, but he does have that engine when he's 100%. When he's 100%, that's what he can play like. Well, I think also, I mean, and Tim, uh, who sometimes comes on this podcast and says a bunch of crazy shit, but occasionally, like, you know, finds a nut, has quite yeah. uh, intelligently pointed out in the past that, like, there were periods in this season where you could see Ramsey thinking, oh, I want to run on here, but I have to stay, I have to sit. That he was trying to control those instincts and it was just leaving him in places on the pitch where he's just not as effective. That a Ramsey who isn't making secondary runs, that isn't getting into the attacking half, isn't giving you what makes him special as a player. Clive, uh, what did you think of him uh, in the cup final and what for you has been the, the, tr the transformation for him? The transformation has been the system, as simple as that. Yeah. If, if, Ram if Ramsey makes those runs 
and leaves us exposing with two at the back and our full backs high up. We all look at Ramsey and say, what are you doing? And, and I'm going to jump in real quick. And then that's when Granite Shaka winds up looking bad and getting criticized yeah. for not being able to cover this 45 yards of green grass that's behind him. It's, it's all about the system. So our fullbacks push high. We have two defenders behind. We have one centre midfielder to field sit in. And Ramsey and goes running. And so I've criticised him because I don't think he plays centre midfield like a, like a classic centre midfielder. In this system... He's starting to shoot his centre midfield, but he's not there. On the goal, if you look at the goal, he was 15 yards ahead of Shaka when that ball went left to Giroud. He was standing on the same line as Ozil. Ramsey looked at it and said, I'm going to gamble. He gambled. Ozil, being the deferent soul that he is, he's gone to the edge of the end for anything that comes out. So that's good. You make two different runs. And Ramsey literally ran about eight yards for that goal. He was already there. In this formation, that's fine. In a 4-2-3-1, that's not fine. So what's happened is now we're looking at all of his strengths and we're saying to him, you just go. You run free. You go where you like. He's a marathon runner and Paul's spot on with the numbers. He's a marathon runner. And and, and now in, a, in this system, marathon running is fine. You do that. We can cover you. We've got five defenders on the pitch. We can cover you. So now we just let him free. And when he's free, so, so Clive, he's in, for your, he's in for those your areas point, more. For, for uh, Alexis's goal, who's standing offside in the centre-forward spot? Yeah, past the centre-forward. I mean, he's not. He, don't tell me he's playing centre-midfield, because he isn't. He's everywhere. He stands there on the goal kicks, and then he goes. The, he the goes reason immediately. he loves playing with Giroud, and he's one of those players, one of the few players that I think is arguably better when Giroud plays, is Giroud doesn't run him behind, and Ramsey runs past Giroud, and that's when those little Giroud flicks on the edge of the box, and like the goal he scores yeah. against Hall to win that, that cup final happens, because Giroud likes to hold it up on the edge of the box and wait for a runner, and that runner is invariably Aaron Ramsey, and you saw it for the goal he scored. It's a secondary run. To Paul's great point on Alexis's goal, he's standing a mile offside past everybody. He's not a player who can be restrained and be effective, and, and Arsene no. has given him the license. He's told Shaka to sit, and I think they're both better for it. Shaka wants to be sitting deeper. Ramsey wants to be running on, and the back three gives him a platform to do it. Can we keep moving? Is that... Is that what you had, yep. or you got a little little more there, Clive, since both Paul and I both interrupted you? Yeah, that's okay. You interrupt <laughs> me and then tell me to be quiet, right? That's fine. But like, yeah. but the thing is, no, I just think that they're a partnership, but they're not a partnership. The partnership is four of them. It's Alexis, Ozil, Ramsey, and Shaka. That's the yeah. key partnership. It's not a partnership as we know it classically. They don't play together. They don't. They only play together in the last 10 minutes when we thought we better hold this now. And then he suddenly became more disciplined. It's a brave move by the manager. It is really brave. And I got to tip my hat to him because I wouldn't have done that. I would have got somebody a bit more stable, a bit more aware of their distances with Shaka, a lot more aware. But you know what? Against Chelsea, the best team in the country, it just shows that tactically the manager was way ahead of all of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean absolutely nailed it and again to me this role for Ramsey is a is a roll of the dice it is it is a more attacking approach it it will leave you occasionally vulnerable it is a risk to take but we all want to see this Arsenal team go out swinging not go out meekly and these decisions these decisions to play Ramsey with Shaka and give him license to run forward and to play the Danny Welbecks instead of Giroud and you know those are 
attack-minded decisions, and they paid dividends on the day. And I think if we had gone out and lost 4-3, but really swinging you know, toe-to-toe with the best team in England, no one would have been upset. But that's not what happened, because at the end of the day, our attacking talents were more than they could handle. And it, I mean, obviously, it leaves you with a little sense of what could have been, but it was brilliant to see. Now, we'll come to Alexis Sanchez next. And Paul, I, you know, for me, I don't think there's any point discussing whether the goal should have stood. In my opinion, it should not. It's handball, and then it's offside. And even if you don't think it's offside, it's definitely handball. But three Arsenal fans sitting here debating whether a goal should or shouldn't have stood that we all obviously are thrilled stood, like there's no benefit to that whatsoever. It did stand. But what I want to talk about is how many players have we had over the last 10 years since the Invincibles who wouldn't have put their hands up to block that ball down, who wouldn't have kept running after they did it, who wouldn't have basically ignored the presence of Ramsey, who wouldn't have been able to, under all those circumstances, knowing it might get called back, still be able to produce a brilliant outside-of-the-right-foot finish like he did. Through a narrow gap. Through a narrow gap. To me, that's Alexis to a T. A player who will, admittedly, try to find an edge on the edge of border of the rules, not be deterred when everybody else stops, not switch off, not worry that his teammates standing next to him and might get offended if he takes the shot and still produce the technical quality when it matters to finish it. Is that Alexis summed up for you? And what did you make of his day overall? Uh, yeah, he was great. I mean, interestingly, it was one of those days where he didn't stand out because everybody stood out, which is fine by me. I thought it was great. I, on that goal, I mean, when you think about it, it's his chip that, that he runs onto for the goal. Yes, it bounces off and somebody else knocks it forward, but it's basically him standing on the ball like usual, chipping the ball ahead and saying, oh, fuck it, here we go, uh, running running forward, throwing his arms up, catching it, uh, blocking it off the uh, Chelsea defender and running through their lines. And like like you say, it's pretty – how many times have we seen somebody running through thinking he, the, the, the play is about to be called offside and so they put the ball lazily past the post and – you know, yeah. blah, blah. Or, or they 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 see Ramsey standing there and they don't want to get in his way and yeah. they defer to him or oh I, I touched it with my hand so it probably won't stand. Like Alexis is never thinking anything other than I'm putting this in the back of the net and we'll let the referees figure out what they want to do. You know, yeah, his first shot of the game and he says, well, you know what? Let's just put it in the back of the net because you know then they got to take it away from you. He he was ready at the start of the game like the whole team was. He was ready for that moment. He put the ball away. What more can you ask? And you know what, and Paul? There were a couple things. Because if you recall a few games ago, I can't remember specifically which game. There were a lot of, uh, like, three or four different situations on the counterattack where he tried to dribble a couple too many guys and was a little late releasing the mm-hmm. ball. He was releasing the ball at the right time from yeah. deeper positions. Today. He, he had a one-touch uh, collect and distribute move, to, I think, to Ozil, to send Ozil in for the one where he hit the post. Mm. Um, and he had, or, or did that was he, superb. And did he release Bellerin for the three on one? He, it might have been him. I can't remember. But what I know he did is he he gave the ball to Giroud for the for the second goal. He's the one yeah. who who spotted that, and that's did, not yeah. an easy pass. It's from the halfway, like the the left side at the halfway line, all the way to Giroud behind their back three. So I think yeah, it was Sanchez gonna, to yeah. Bellerin for the counter. Yeah, it was Sanchez to Bellerin. Yeah. So I mean, and 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 you won't get many clear counterattacking chances than that. So I think underrated on the day was the way uh, he t- was quicker to distribute in the counterattack. 
Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, we have this discussion about uh, whether Arsenal's any good on the counter. You know, we have a reputation of being really good counter-attacking team. I've actually been very frustrated with us for years. That we don't um, take enough of the chances we create on the counter or, or, or yeah, execute the counters as well as we should. With the exactly. Counter, yeah. I think we were really, really good on this day. We didn't quite finish uh, a bunch of them. But the counters themselves were quality, and he was an important part of every single one of them. Him and him and Welbeck, uh, that whole dynamic, and and very often Bellerin, and of course Ozil, and of course Ramsey. But I think the key man in all of that was probably Sanchez so many times. Yeah. Uh, Clive, there's not much you can say about Sanchez we haven't said on this pod before, so maybe just stick to this game specifically. Uh, how did you rate him, and, and what did you think of the goal itself? Yeah, you're, you're spot on with the goal. It, it was it was handball, and um, we, and you know we got away with it. We we got one, but you know I'm still mad about Alonso smashing Bellerin. And by the way, ooh, Bellerin. Ooh, just so I don't forget, if you have have you seen the tunnel cam? I God. haven't seen it yet. No, Paul, have you seen, seen the yet. tunnel cam? No, no. So when 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 he's coming in, uh, Marcus Alonso, right? He's the one who who elbows Bellerin yep. and knocks him out. He walks in, and he's palling around with one of his buddies. I can't remember who it is. And the camera points to him, and he looks at the camera and does like a fake elbow to the head of his buddy and laughs about it and walks into yeah. the dressing room. Just a complete uh, I, and utter fucking cunt. Sorry. I thought, I thought Bellerin dominated him on the day. Absolutely dominated him. He looked like a player on a mission to really show, I'm not going to be beaten up by you. I'm going yeah. to run you off your feet. And I thought it's a big part of the motivation for Bellerin's performance. And by the and way, I'm Sanchez, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I'd forgotten to bring that up earlier, and it's really worth seeing in that tunnel cam and seeing if you think that's what he's referencing. Yeah, maybe I'll watch that one later for sure. But um, on Sanchez, I always think in big games, um, everyone gets nervous. We get nervous as fans. And and, and the, how the game started was really was really key. And we, we moved the ball really well. Mm-hmm. But when it came to it, the first incisions all came from Sanchez. And what that does is just sets an, an offensive tone. He's your go-to guy. It wasn't to Urza, it was to Sanchez. He was the one that started to make things happen. He was the one that started to move. He just he just got hold of the game. And I, I don't think without that, we'd have had the confidence to get hold of that game. And I just think his role is just so important to, to, to our club. He's just got a big game mentality. And he, he shows for the ball. He knows when to go long. He presses the game. He, just, he says to everybody, we're as good as them. Come on, let's go and get them. Let's go and get them. And the messages he sends to the fans in the stands, to the fans watching on TV, and to his players... It's the messages he sends that says, let's go. Let's go and take these. And so in England, we're used to roll your sleeves up, Tony Adams type. Well, we've got one of those at the top end of our pitch that says, you you follow me. And the importance of that message is almost more important than some of the execution. His execution can be loose, as we all know, especially his passing. But his end products, I think I heard today on a podcast that he's he's been – Assisted or scored in 40-plus percent of our goals. Wow. Well, he's and got 30 goals he, and 15 assists. I mean, right? it's incredible. So we've got, we've got a real issue, right? <laughs> Let's not talk about it, right? We know what the issue is. We'll get on to it on the next pod. 
I don't think he's replaceable, but let's let's save it for uh, yeah, our let's save it. But that's a, yeah. that's a hell of an impact. That's a hell of an influence for a wasteful player. Imagine if he was less wasteful. I mean, how good could he be? Forty something percent of our goals in our third most scoringest season ever in the history of the club. So that's he, a lot of goals. He's fantastic, and and yeah. to me, that first goal. I mean, a cup final against the best team in England. Anything you can do to get some confidence flowing. You've started well, but you could use a goal to really uh, put a line under that that momentum and, and have something to hold on to. And here's a guy who plays through the handball, as I've said, plays through the offsides, as I said, plays through the presence of his, his teammate next to him and still finishes skillfully. And we've just had so many nice players down the years who maybe technically could have executed what he did but wouldn't have had the intensity and the mindset to do it. He combines those things, plus he plays every single game um, suspect he's probably been carrying some kind of thigh knock for about six months, but you know he never misses. Um, so let's go to Ozil and look. It's it's easy to be frustrated by the chances he didn't take, but this is Mesut Ozil at his absolute sort of um, uh, magician's best. You know he he is that mercurial talent, and I think he has a unique ability to pop up in spaces that nobody can seem to spot. Um, Chelsea didn't know where he was going to be. They couldn't track him. They couldn't follow him. And his touches were extravagant and precise and beautiful to watch throughout the game. He he created opportunities. He got on the end of opportunities, and that was sort of where he let himself down maybe a little bit. But, Paul, this is this is what we've been missing. This is Ozil in a big game looking like the kind of special talent that he has often not looked like in big games. Yeah, it was like – so uh, it was more, he was kind of like a warm bath to me. It was very – he was very diffuse in this game. Every now and then he'd that pop you were up touching with, yourself while watching him? Yeah. Good, okay, yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, every now and then he'd pop up in a moment of clarity and you, he'd do something beautiful. But to me this was a almost like a blur performance, a wave-particle duality where he's, it's just this diffuse brilliance hovering around the place doing little things and then suddenly you spot him doing something really clever. And what I really love, to me, the star of the game was the system, the 3-4-3, because it just accidentally fixes, at this moment in time, it seems, it accidentally fixes all of our issues. And it fixes the fact that you want Ozil, or at least I do, Ozil and Alexis to be able to buzz around the 10 spot. And uh, and feed off the pockets they can find to the left and the right of that, and move out to the wing. And I think the two of them did, just did beautifully finding a balance of when to buzz into the middle, when to attack through the middle, when to drift out to the right and left. And that's what your three four, three four two one, if you want to call it that, for the purpose of this discussion. Those two there, it's just a thing of beauty how they can, uh, on a day like this, you know, you know, we there's a maybe a a meme or a view at the moment that possession isn't that important. Well, it's not that important if you know how to use it. Chelsea gave us, allowed us to have a little bit more possession on the day because they didn't think we could hurt them. What they found out was we could hurt them with that possession because of all the things we've been talking about. And, uh, you know, we've talked about a couple of the players, Ozil and Alexis, though, are a huge part of how we managed to hurt them with the pockets of space and well back we'll get to. But him stretching the pitch... So that they actually had those pockets, Ramsey moving around and Chaka with his line breaking passes and the centre backs behind it. I mean, it all, as Clive talked about, 
you can't talk about one player in a way. It's kind of a, a crock. You've got, got to kind of talk about all of them. And that system, which I don't think uh, Wenger picked tactically, I think he picked it because that's what the players needed to feel emotionally and psychologically secure, actually fixes so many issues, including his, in terms of his weaknesses as a coach. So uh, I think that uh, Wenger's talked about this system really suiting uh, Ozil. I think I can name eight or nine players this system really suits. Yeah, and when you see them in it and you see how well it suits them, it's just, I mean, it's hard not to go yeah. to what if world. You know, what if and, we had made this, this And when he calls sooner. it a defensive uh, structure, I, I, I've i said this before, there was nothing defensive about, about that performance or most of our performances with us. When you give your if midfielders got, a platform to go and attack yeah. more and you're attacking players a platform to 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 focus on their the attacking part of their game because you have a sure. little bit more of a defensive uh, uh, structure behind you, that's how yeah. you turn it into a more attacking system. Yeah. Um, Clive, go on. Per about Ozil for us. Yeah, it's part of the Ramsey, Ozil, Sanchez thing. The three of them took turns to behave like pistons. So when one came short, the other one went long. And I thought Ozil was, was quite a little bit deeper early on. And I think that gave us mm. possession confidence, which is really good. So I was really pleased. Three, four minutes in. And you know what, Paul? I was going to count them passes too, right? You, you done me there, 44 passes. <laughs> right? So, um, so I thought, you know what? That's great. When Ozil gets early touches... That's a good sign. When he gets early good touches, that's an even better sign. So get him on the ball early. Give him touches. Make him feel the ball. Make him feel the game. I thought we did that really, really well. And what he was doing, I mean, you guys are probably a bit young for this, right? But 1991 FA Cup semi-final, Paul Gascoigne against Paul Davis, Michael Thomas. He had them on a string. He went to the left, he went to the right, and, and basically they were they were just following him. I thought Ozil had Kante and Matic on a string. He was just moving around thinking, they're going to mark me. I'm going to come here. I'm going to get it. I'm going to pop it. I'm going to get it back. I'm going to pop it again. I thought he was critical in getting the spaces for Ramsey and Alexis to receive the ball. And then late on, he decided to go a bit higher up when they went to 10 men. And he was the one on the transition. He was the one breaking forward and nearly scoring. He was the one playing the pass for other people should have scored from. I thought it was a masterful tactical performance. And it's quite interesting. A lot of the pundits saw that. And the people at the ground really saw that. It's one of those Ozil games where you need to see what he's, what he's actually doing. He was like a surgeon. He cut them to ribbons with his movement. And um, it's, a, it's an unbelievable performance. And I wish, I so wish he could have scored that goal late on. Because... You know, a lot of times people need to see the the output, the finishing touch. He needs to have more desire to score, but that's the only thing missing from his game in the weekend. He was he was brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, you look at all the chances. It, it really could have mm. been a horrible day of what could have been. I mean, Bellerin flashes a shot wide. Bellerin has a shot well saved. Uh, Ozil hits the post. Ozil has the one he kicks into the ground that gets cleared off the line. Welbeck has a header that goes just wide that Ramsey can't chest in. Um, I think I'm even missing. Oh, Bellerin has the, the counterattack three on one where his cross manages to hit the defender. Uh, there were a couple others that I'm, I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but so many opportunities that went begging. Um, and it, it's just a thrill to not be sitting here talking about the lack of end product costing us on the day. Um, 
And that brings us to Danny Welbeck. And it's interesting, right? Everything about Olivier Giroud that you see in, in the big stats, the goals and assists, is superior to Danny Welbeck. His touch is probably a little better. His technique is a little better. His passing's a little more precise. His shooting's a little better. His heading's a little better. He's just all around a little sharper, more technically proficient player and has a little more end product and, to be fair, delivered the the perfect control and, and pass to Ramsey for for the second goal. And yet, I don't think any of us are sitting here suggesting we would have won the game if we hadn't started with Danny Welbeck. Paul, how do you quantify what Welbeck does in light of all of those things I just said, but so clearly you can see on the pitch how much more dangerous we are when he's when he's up front for us? He utterly changed the dynamic. I mean, we were front-footed from front to back. You saw it from Monreal nipping in, uh, Ramsey in midfield, but Welbeck up front pressuring their back line and then pushing into the channels continually. Uh, they couldn't ignore him. Um, his pace, his his runs, his intelligence, he just pulled them all over the place to make many of those gaps we played through. Um I think he was sensational without even having a particularly good technical game because the Welbeck thing works. You know, Theo can bring a bit of that, but but Welbeck's a player that really can't be ignored. Um, and he he brought their centre backs, their he pushed their the wing backs back. I mean, he just it, it, um, he's the guy who really, in terms of tugging their back line, created the pockets into which Ozil. Ramsey, uh, Sanchez came in, um, and I, I think that's why Chelsea looks so vulnerable. I mean, this is a compact team that knows who's happy to give possession to other teams uh, and make them look sterile. And they couldn't make us look sterile for a few reasons, one of which was Welbeck making those runs. And, and Giroud doesn't and can't do that. Ironically, that's exactly what he did. I know, when, it's so, so, so When we ironic, kicked off yeah. from their goal... Um, but he can't do that in the first minute. He can do it in the 70th minute. And what we need to get past is thinking of an Arsenal 11 and thinking more of an Arsenal 14, because that's what wins a game. Um, and an Arsenal 18, 19 or 20, which is what wins a season. Um, Giroud is a very valuable player, but there's not too many games I want to see him starting. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's so interesting because it's like, you look at Welbeck on the day, and just the havoc he creates is not just the, the power of his sprints, but the number of sprints he can complete in a game. I mean, I realize yeah. he came off after 70-something minutes, but he just sprints and sprints and sprints all game. And he has and that out deceptive, of possession. Yeah, out of possession, in possession. And he has that deceptive that deceptive first yeah. touch that explodes past people. I mean, he the reason Moses gets sent off is because he gets the first yellow mm-hmm. card chasing shadows when Welbeck just kicks it up the line and, and blasts past him, and he has to haul him down. Um, and we saw those kind of explosive sprints cause problems for Chelsea all game long and create the spaces where Ozil pops up and Alexis pops up and all the things you were you were brilliantly covering, Paul. So, I mean, he oh. he is... He is exactly what we need in terms of the profile of player up front. I can't help but wonder, now what if instead of a Welbeck, that's an Aubameyang? A player with physique and pace, but can finish, but has the technical quality. I think Welbeck shows us how devastating we could be 
with a slightly more technically proficient finisher with his physical attributes attributes right so like like not many of those around though no, and, no, no. and even obama yang who who's i agree would be a wonderful signing i think welbeck's even slightly better at the welbeck thing but I, you well, know physically, that, you, the, the thing that i'm yeah. constantly impressed by welbeck or impresses me about welbeck that i forget is he, no one holds the ball up quite like Giroud can, but Welbeck's pretty damn close. He's very, yeah. very strong, and his hold-up play is better than you may think. I mean, Clive, when you watch us play with Welbeck, is there any doubt in your mind that we are a better side with him up front because of his running? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not just how we feel. It's how David Luiz feels. Just ask him who would he rather mark. <laughs> I, that's yeah, such a good mark. point, Clive. I think if you if you surveyed you know, all the central defenders in the Premier League and ask them if they'd rather face Giroud or Welbeck, even if Giroud has scored on them before, they don't want to be running at that pace. Welbeck makes long. you look bad. Yeah. And he makes it's you It's a combination, right? <laughs> it's a combination. I mean, he's got Moses' first booking on, on the left touchline. We know he's played left a lot of times in his career. So when he's out there, he's not a foreign part of the pitch for him. He does a comes inside. He holds you up in his chest. He comes back. There's no option. So he turns out to left touchline, drives. Moses has got to take him because he doesn't take him. He's going straight in on David Luiz. And we've got people breaking on the insides. So it's the threat of what he can do that forces the actions of the defenders against him. When you see a player that's physically limited, then our, our offence becomes limited. We can't drive up the pitch from different areas, right? So, and, and, you know, I've been thinking about upgrades as well today because he's obviously that profile of centre forward in this team is what we need. And the player I choose, actually, is, is like Cavani, actually. I think Cavani's a harder worker. I think he's slightly more cultured. He, If we have to cross it, he's better in the air than Aubameyang. He's better, he's more dashing. He can go from deep, he can transition. I would love Cavani in this team uh, at, at the top. I mean, that, but it's that profile of player, high energy, high sprints, repeat sprints, that just a leader by what he does, his movement, his diagonal runs. Cavani's running caused us so much problems this year in the PSG games. I mean, um, yeah, I, I rate him really highly. But Danny Welbeck in this team is the perfect forward because he threatens people. And that's, and that's what we need. That stress, that threaten, that pace to create the space for our three behind in Ramsey, Ozil and uh, Alexis. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, Danny's uh, cross to we- to uh, Bellerin that time the the uh, past shot. It- it's Danny who puts that ball straight across that box after running up the channel. I mean, it's, that's kind of classic. Can I just can I say one more thing on Welbeck? And this is where he's got to improve, right? So, there's two things he's got to improve on. It's his first touch, right? His first mm-hmm. touch is one, and his shot preparation. So, if you watch him when he's about to shoot. His stride pattern is off. So he's often stretching when he goes to shoot. He's often leaning back. He's on that shot, on that one on the left by the left hand post, we took it. His first touch his left foot, took it away from goal. So he couldn't get it back onto goal. If he takes on his back foot, puts it back onto his right foot, that's a side foot for him. Right? So this is where Harry Kane is, is the master. His shot preparation is brilliant. Danny Wilbert's got the same power. He's he's quicker. He's he's just as strong. But where Harry Kane is better, if you watch him on his shot preparation, his stride pattern allows him to make the right decision on the finish. Where Danny's not so good, he's not so calm. 
when the ball comes, we're not sure what the first touch is going to do. So often his goals are a bit like there's only one finish there. That's the only one you can do. And so you've chosen it and it's worked out. The often time he misses is when his touch is bad and it reduces his angles, takes away his options and makes finishing very difficult. So if I'm his coach now, I'm thinking first touch, shot preparation. If you add that to your physicality, speed and fitness and power, what a player are we going to have? And that's where he needs to develop in the next year or so. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, it brings us to, uh, I guess, my, my last quick question on the player front. And I, I don't want to dive into it because we've done a deep dive on every player. But, Paul, out of all of those great performances, who's your man of the match? Coquelin. How could we miss that performance? So my man of the you match... You never fail to ruin this pod for me. It's just phenomenal yeah, well, work by you. <laughs> sorry about that. Ronaldo stepovers. What more can you yeah, ask the, for? The Coughlin stepovers are the highlight of the season, no doubt. But yes, they please are, go yeah. on. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you my immediate reaction. I can't even think of another player right now. I'm not sure this is my man of the match, but I'm going with Mertesacker. I think he was just so dominant on, on, and we didn't see off the pitch, but that's just, that's what I get out of what, of that team and that yep. performance. I love it. How about you, Clive? Man of the match? Yeah, it's the Mertesacker final, but to be contrary, I will go with Shaka. I just thought mm-hmm. he, he was tremendous and the, the onus we put on him to be that good was huge, and he was that good. And he has turned a lot of people around with that performance. But for me, he's always been that player, and now we've got a system to uh, to show his talent. It tells you all you need to know about the performance, that I could pick just about any one of the starting players, and no one would really have an argument with it. Um, I don't. I genuinely don't know who to pick. I mean, there's... <laughs> Every one of them would be a brilliant option. I, I think it's hard to get away from Murtisacker, um, for all the reasons that we've all discussed already. But if I had to pick one that you guys haven't picked, I, I guess... I mean, I love Nacho's performance, but I'm going to pick Alexis just for the emotional connection I have mm-hmm. with the player. Um, what he does to get us that opening goal and the chances he created that, to be fair to him, should both have been goals as well. I mean, he should have scored one and set up at least two more. Um, he is a player who is irreplaceable, not just because of his exceptional play uh, on the pitch, but because of the attitude and the energy and the approach he has to the game that I think is what you need in a couple of players on the pitch to start competing for the really big trophies. So let me ask you this. And, and, and maybe for once you could cheat and say, Arsene Wenger, I mean, this was an immaculate performance. Everything about this is a hat tip to Arsene Wenger. I mean, yeah. it is it is the most FA Cups ever won by any manager. It is the most FA Cups won by any club. What we are not going to do is analyze his after-match comments about whether he's staying or going. Presumably by the time we do our next pod, we will know that. But I don't think prognosticating on the eve of the decision coming out is all that interesting. Um, I think it's clear what it meant to him. He talked about keeping his medal, which he hasn't done in the past. Um, and why wouldn't he? He, in the post-match comments compared this to uh, what he did with taking the Invincibles through the season unbeaten. Um, And again, I mean, I think it's fair to say no manager will ever match the seven FA Cups he has because we're just past the era of 20-year managers anyway. Um, So I I think that record is probably safe, if not for all time, certainly for our lifetimes. Um, But, Paul, is it fair? Well, let me start with you, Clive, because I keep giving Paul the first shot, and then you have to come up with exceptional stuff that he could never think of. So let's do it the other way around. Um, Clive, is it fair to say 
that the FA Cup should not be the goal of Arsenal Football Club, that it's the Premier League and the Champions League, and that's what we should be building towards winning, and still be able to say that it is a phenomenal, euphoric achievement that we can celebrate lustily. I think winning the FA Cup, well, I've, I've seen a few in my time, but um, but this one's number one for me because of who we played and and, and where they are in, Link, in Lincoln the and Sutton. game. Yeah, well, who we played in the final? Sorry, right, let's, just let's, let's go back to let's go back to semi-final draw, right? When that came out, how confident do you feel we'd win it? Oh, come on! You got to yeah. go through City, Spurs, or Chelsea to get there. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, exactly. How confident did you feel? And we've gone through both those teams, and we've won it, and we've won it with two outstanding performances with a new system. I think it's. I think it's. This has been my favourite one. I, I have not come down from cloud nine for this one. and I'm not coming down yet. And the performance, right? The performance, everything about it, the performance, the things that we've worried about, the lack of physicality, the lack of mobility. We've, we've, we were assertive. We were technically supreme. We were consistent in our shape. We were aggressive when we needed to be. We executed at the right moments. We should have won that game by three clear goals. That's how good we were. We should have won that by three clear goals. The only regret I have is Ozil hitting the post late on because for him to have that moment would have been great. So um, I think it's a wonderful step. It's a wonderful point in time which will fade shortly. I kept thinking the man in the pinstripe suit in our in that raw box. Were you watching something on the pitch, mate, Mister Cronky? And are you gonna invest in this team? to allow us to go to the next level. Will these people stop taking money out of our club so we can actually make sure, put money into the club so we can close the gap where we need to close it? That's what I was thinking. This is a stepping time. We're coming to a major moment this week. I hope it goes. Whatever happens, I just hope the model changes and we move away from an investment vehicle to being a football club again. That's my only hope. Amen. Paul, um... I don't think the FA Cup can be put on the same level anymore that the, the Premier League and Champions League are, if, if it ever could be. But, you know, the funny thing yeah. is, I, I, I said this on another podcast, but I have a Chelsea friend. He gives me endless shit on the uh, text message back channel, and I, I can't stand it. But the thing he said to me after this game that was so telling is he said, it's such bullshit that we won the title, and I have to go into the summer feeling like shit about Chelsea. And that's the yeah. beauty of the FA Cup, right? I mean, they won the yeah. title, but they won't be able to get that sick, disappointed feeling out of their stomach as they go into the summer. And we go into the summer riding high on cloud nine, loving our manager again, loving these players again, and feeling that that euphoria that football can give you. And we get to feel it on the last day and have an actual trophy and carry that through the season. I mean, if we had finished fourth, scraped fourth, Liverpool loses on that final day, but we hadn't been in the FA Cup final it would have been hard to knock off the, the dull, rusty disappointment of this season because top four, while it gets you in the CL, doesn't leave you with euphoria. This is better, isn't it, going into the summer? Yeah. This pumped up that you want to spend an hour and 20 minutes celebrating one match? Yeah, I mean, your, your whole premise is correct. You know, what do you want? You want to win the Premier League and the Champions League. But on the other hand, football as a supporter is about moments. There ain't no team in England that had a better moment than we did this year we got a trophy out of it it was the last moment of the year it was the big occasion uh, i read a really good piece i can't remember by who in the guardian or the independent about the fa cup and how you know what it needs uh to become the premier prize it once was and and basically about one and a half sentences 
into it. It says what it needs and what it needed was that FA Cup final that Arsenal and Chelsea just played because that's what makes that's what we remember the FA Cup being like at its best when we were kids in our teens in our 20s when the FA Cup was great. Everybody who saw that game will remember that game for a decade, for decades. There's a lot of FA Cup finals people won't remember. There's a lot of leagues that people won't remember. They might remember who won it. But that one defining moment, this was just a superb occasion. This is why you want to be a fan. Everything was right. That performance, the manager, the selections, the formation, the tactics – the story of the game, there was even, you know, we we led basically from start to finish apart from one minute where they decided to terrify us with misery just to quadruple our uh, enjoyment at getting the goal back and winning the, the game. And it, was, it was just all there. I mean, it, while I would have to accept from anybody, yes, you want the Champions League, uh, yes, you want the Premier League, as a moment in football, it was... It was supreme in our last decade, I would say. This is why you support a football club, to lift you, yep. to, to put a smile on your face that you can't get rid of, to get drunk with your friends, to have a day you remember forever. And, you know, when you, when you win a 13th FA Cup, when your manager wins a 7th FA Cup, this rings through history. You know, you're talked about, oh, the club that has won the most FA Cups ever. That's something that counts. There will be no the club that finished in the top four most history book you know that that's not a thing and while i'm not dismissing top four what top four is it's to get into the champions league it it is to elevate your position as a club reputationally but it is not a footballing achievement really i mean not really um in the way that this is because you can't celebrate it the way you can celebrate this no you can't and we played the best team in the league who everybody said was going to win who confidently sat and let us have the ball for sterile possession, and we ran fucking circles around them for 90 minutes. Superb occasion. We stuffed them. We took it home. So you just can't not, you know, uh, of course I'd pick the Champions League. Of course I'd pick the Premier League if given a rational choice. But emotionally, this is what football is. This is an occasion that you're just dreaming of. Yeah, so your last memory of supporting Arsenal in 2016, 2017 will be confetti and lifting a trophy and consuming every podcast and video and blog you could read because you're so happy about it and getting drunk with your friends and, and a yeah. smile you can't wipe off your face. And that's what football and, can give you. And, and I, even Chelsea don't have that from the leagues. They'll have the pride and the joy of the league. But name the one moment in their league campaign that point. felt as good as that. It's, they don't have it. That's a good point. That's why there, there's nothing quite like a, a knockout final. You know. Yeah, that's isn't. why the FA Cup was bigger 15, 20 years ago than the league. You see, with, of you, this. Look, you see it with Huddersfield getting promoted. You know, they just got promoted in yeah. a penalty shootout in the playoff final. The teams that got automatic promotion won't have felt the way Hutter, Huddersfield fans felt yeah. today. Um, Clive, a, a last word congratulating Arson and the team and your enduring feeling as we go into the summer. Yeah, I'm. I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that we can that we can um, use it as a step forward. When we beat Hull, I felt it was like okay, we've won a trophy. When we beat Villa, it was like we just we were just better than them. But I would, I didn't feel confident coming to this game, and um, and this one feels really really good. But the most important thing is let's re- let's remember right, we've lost nine games this season. 
It's not been the best season overall. And we need to remember where we need to improve. And I hope it doesn't it doesn't wipe over the fact. I, I don't want to say it's, it's a paper in the crack because that's a good side we beat and we beat them well. We beat them in a in a really good way. And I'm as euphoric as anybody. But I want us to build on this. I wanted to turn around to Alexis and say, we are going to build on this. We're going to give you the partners that you need. I want to make sure we don't have to play Aaron Ramsey for every single minute of every single game so his calf goes. And the same for Shaka, by the way. He's played a lot of minutes. We need to have the, the right type of profile of players and the right squad depth and the right sort of planning. And it needs to happen. It really does. And that's that's what they've got to do now. It's not about the, the winning as much. It's about what do we do with it? What is this going to make us do? We have to react to the Manchester clubs who are, who are bringing a new rivalry in. We have to react to Chelsea and Tottenham who are forming a new rivalry. Are, are Arsenal going to be left outside? So we have to react to that. And we really got to react to that with a bit of aggression and a bit of planning and a bit of um, foresight. And that's what I hope this game leads to. If that, if it does lead to that, we'll all be really, really happy. Yeah. And I mean, it works. It's amazing. Football is like golf in this sense. If you've ever played golf, you can be hitting every ball in the water in the woods. And if on the 18th hole, you tee off and hit it straight down the fairway, your approach shot lands three feet from the hole and you put it in for birdie, you love golf and you can't wait to play your next round. Arsenal had me on the ropes this season, but you know what? They hit the ball right in the cup from the tee on Saturday, and now I can't wait for next season to come back, and I'll miss them like crazy all summer long. So we'll come back with another podcast uh, when the manager lets us know uh, that he's signed his two-year contract. We'll talk about how devastated I'll be losing Alexis. We'll get into all the stuff that can really make you miserable, like transfer speculation and, and contract talk and why the manager shouldn't be staying, and we we'll see if we can't turn some of that uh, smile into a frown. In any event, uh, enjoy the smile while it lasts. Paul can be found on Twitter at uh, Posn in my pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Clive, thanks for putting up with all our interrupting. That's all right. Okay, I'm and I'm Elliot it, Smith. <laughs> 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 no, Clive, we, we appreciate you coming on this season and uh, look forward to a second season as you're now bedded in with the, with the club. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. All right, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Clive's doing it as we speak. Uh, we'll be back, hopefully, with the whole gang to talk all the stuff I mentioned in about a week's time, I would imagine. Uh, until then, congratulations to your all-time FA Cup winningest team, Arsenal. Uh, what a brilliant season it's been. Cheers. We'll talk to you soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. 